with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. It's the Thursday edition, and coming up around the bottom of the hour, we're going to have Mary Reed in from Pure North Creative, one of the uh, businesses operating out of uh, the building here at 1299 Third Avenue. But to start today's program, it is yesterday morning's front burner from CBC News. This is the root cause. We do not have enough vaccines from the federal government, and it's, uh, it's a joke. If you live in Ontario, you might have heard Ontario Premier Doug Ford over the last few months rail against the federal government for a lack of vaccines. Every day, we're giving out less vaccines than we have the capacity to administer is a day we lose. We've shown uh, the people of Ontario we have the capacity, we have the infrastructure, and at the end of the day... They've dropped the ball, majorly. He claimed this was the big problem here, the lack of vaccine supply, not the province's ability to administer them to people. And I want to be clear here. A lot of people argue these criticisms were warranted. Now, though, the vaccines are flooding in, and Ontario is getting nailed for not only failing to ramp up its vaccination rate, but also failing to quickly pivot its strategy to target the people, many of them young, who are now getting sick from variants running rampant in the province. The number of people in ICU today is 510, which is up from 387 one week ago. The Prime Minister himself took a bit of a shot at the Premier yesterday. Later today, I'll speak to Premier Ford about the situation in Ontario. I know we'll talk about what the spike in cases means for hospitals and the importance of vaccinating as many people as possible as quickly as possible. Today, Dr. Nahid Desani is with me. He's a palliative care physician and health justice activist. And we're going to talk about the failures of Ontario's vaccine rollout. Hey, Nahid, thank you so much for making the time to talk to me today. Thanks for having me on, Jamie. Really appreciate it. It's really good to have you here. So first, I want to talk about the vaccination rate in Ontario. Ontario's ability, essentially, to get vaccines into arms. And on Monday, the province had one and a half million doses in the freezers, essentially, that had not been used. And what runs through your head when you hear that? You know, it's a really great question. You know, when I think about our vaccine rollout, I think about the disproportionate impact that this virus has had on communities um, where essential workers live, on racialized people, on people who live in low-income areas. And I think about how badly these people are suffering, getting sick, and dying from COVID-19 variants, and how badly they need to be vaccinated. Um, when I hear about one and a half million doses in freezers, it does not inspire confidence that that we are urgently responding to COVID-19. COVID-19's um, uh, a 24-7 problem. We're not vaccinating 24-7. Um, and, and, it, and it causes me great concern. Mm-hmm. And I just want to mention, uh, Ford addressed these numbers at a press conference on Tuesday. He said essentially that the province had just received this big shipment of vaccines. That's why the number was so big. What you don't tell the people, which I'm telling them right now, folks, we just got them two days ago. Over the last few days, they just literally landed on our doorstep. It takes a day for the distribution. We got it out and we are ready to go. We have over 1.3 million 
appointments booked. But um, I just want to note, too, that that even before that big shipment showed up on the weekend, there were still several hundred thousand vaccines that had not been administered. And, And I wonder if other relevant numbers we should talk about here are how many vaccines are being administered each day. So on Sunday, we saw 52,000 administered, which is very low. But this week, to be fair, an average of 72,000 a day. And is this where the province should be right now in terms of raw numbers? You know, uh, we are in a state of emergency. This is a public health crisis. And um, we were promised and told that our vaccine uh, daily rates would be upwards of 150,000 um, uh, uh, per day. And we have not seen that. You know, the numbers over this last weekend have not inspired that confidence and ability to really ramp up. And so, you know, it's very clear that we have an ample supply of vaccine on hand. And yet the flow, the ability to distribute distribute these vaccines um, is not happening. It's not just happening in raw numbers, but it's not happening in a way that meets the need in in communities where the need is greatest. So um, again, uh, you know, there are great concerns um, from from the people I work with on the front lines who are saying, you know, why are vaccination uh, daily rates so low? Why are they low on weekends? Why are we taking breaks on holidays? You know, things really need to change quickly to save lives. an unlimited amount of vaccines. As I told you, uh, yes, the feds uh, dropped uh, uh, quite a few vaccines onto us. Those are all taken. They're all all, uh, spoken for. So if you change anything, just think you're taking it off an elderly uh, person. We need more vaccines. You know, obviously, as we just talked about, we're lagging behind. Um, and, And because of this, it makes the question about who should be getting the vaccine first, even more important, I think. And so, you know, as as you also mentioned, um, th- there are these frontline workers, we know that they're getting sick. Researchers in Ontario revealed today communities with essential workers have seen a 51% increase in infections due to more contagious variants. We are not vaccinating more in the highest risk communities. You need to make sure that it gets where it's going to have the biggest impact. And on Tuesday, Ford said that starting in mid-May, so two weeks earlier than expected, essential workers, first people like teachers and farm workers, food manufacturers in Group 1, and then Group 2, um, people in restaurants, uh, in, in factories, would start to get vaccinated. We have to go under the, the high-priority essential manufacturers, beat the meat packers, the poultry, the manufacturing sector. Uh, you saw what happened in Amazon out in Brampton. He also said that the province was going to start uh, vaccinating people in COVID hotspots. So they're, they're already offering people over 50 in certain postcodes the vaccine. And will this do anything? This is welcome news that is definitely moving in the right direction. Um, We must remember that COVID-19 variants are spreading at a rate that is 2.7 times higher in communities where essential workers live. We also have to remember that essentially um, people in in low-income neighborhoods like Jane and Finch in Toronto are eight times more likely than people um, in Rosedale, for example, to be hospitalized or die from COVID-19. But they've been shown to be four times less likely to 
be vaccinated. We have literally had a rollout plan that has um, uh, that has had the most people, the people most impacted by this pandemic, have actually been vaccinated the least. This is what the systemic discrimination looks like. So when we talk about moving essential workers up in the vaccination plan, when we talk about um, uh, uh, looking at vulnerability not just by age but by postal code, which is likely a surrogate surrogate for income, then we're starting to get at the crux of the issue. Um, this third wave is is not just about age. It actually has so much to do with the social factors that are impacting the spread of this virus. And and and, and while these announcements are great, one has to wonder if you know moving up by two weeks is is too little, too late. I I, I know it will help a lot of people, but I think we have a long way to go. So okay, and I, I want to stick with that um, with you for a few minutes. Then so. You know, just just taking this decision to move up two weeks, like Group One moves up two weeks to mid May. We've still got factory workers, uh, people who work in restaurants, grocery store uh, workers, who actually probably won't receive the vaccine until mid June. It looks like right now at this current rate, and and given how fast the variants are moving, you know, what do you think needs to be done in addition to this? Yeah, you know, this move um, uh, to, to, to get people who are essential workers vaccinated um, uh, two weeks earlier is a good step. But it, it, in, in the context of the bigger picture, it won't be enough. Um, in fact, the recent lockdown measures in isolation won't be enough because what we know about this current pandemic is that the infections are happening in, in workplaces where essential workers are. Peel Region has about 300,000 essential workers from food processing to manufacturing and logistics. And according to a new report by the Ontario Health Coalition, the growth rate of the variants is three times higher in these neighbourhoods. And so we really need to rethink things. And we've been calling for policies like paid sick leave um, to support people who are on the front lines of this pandemic from the very beginning. People don't have the ability to take a day um, off to get a COVID test or just be sick or, or deal with an, a known outbreak in their workplace. But also things like getting people paid time off so that they can get vaccinated, supporting mobile vaccine programs that go to people's workplaces, and also just in general at a, at a sort of Macro view, reallocating vaccine supplies to make sure that these supplies are getting to hardest hit neighborhoods. This is what health equity looks like. And this is what a compassionate approach to this pandemic looks like. That is part one of yesterday morning's front burner from CBC News. Part two coming up in a moment here on 93.1 CFIS FM's After Nine. Hi, this is The Wolfman. Few entertainment genres have captured our imagination and been as successful as the good old-fashioned musical. From their vaudevillian roots to today's blockbusters, musicals have provided generations with a stream of memorable productions, show-stopping performances, and larger-than-life personalities. Join me for a unique adventure as we trip the light fantastic across more than a century of musical theater, from Broadway to the West End and all points in between. On with the show, Sunday afternoons at 2, only on Boomer Radio 93. Point one FM. Once again this year, the Community Volunteer Income Tax Program will be helping local seniors prepare their income tax return. The program runs Tuesdays and Thursdays through the end of April from 9 to 11, is by appointment only. You must be over 55 to qualify for the program and have a simple tax situation. Volunteers do not keep records from year to year, so you must inform them of any deductions or changes on your return. 
To book an appointment with the Community Volunteer Income Tax Program, call 250-563-6112. For the second consecutive year, the University of Northern British Columbia will hold virtual convocation celebrations for its graduating class. The processes for completing graduation requirements are still the same, and all UNBC graduates in the class of 2021 from all campuses are invited to participate. More information about UNBC's 2021 convocation can be found at unbc.ca slash convocation. The University of Northern British Columbia class of 2021 virtual convocation, premiering June 25th at unbc.ca. Forecast from Environment Canada, a mix of sun and cloud today with the wind becoming south 20 this afternoon and a high of 4. Cloudy tonight, periods of snow overnight, south winds continuing, a low of minus 3 with a wind chill to minus 9. For Friday, increasing cloudiness with periods of rain in the afternoon, more south winds and a high of 5. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And here is part two of yesterday morning's front burner from CBC News. Okay, so I want to go through some of these uh, with you in a little bit more detail. So let's start with mobile clinics, getting vaccines to where the people who need them actually are. Like, what would that look like? We often take for granted um, the ability um, to take time away, uh, even just a few hours or a day for a medical appointment or um, or for a procedure. And when it comes to the COVID-19 vaccination for essential workers, this is a really hard proposition. And when we are able to support teams that show up at factories, at production plants, at warehouses to get people vaccinated, we break down barriers. We meet people where they're at and thereby can optimize the rate of vaccine vaccination in our communities. I think this is a really important step that, step that can in, increase vaccine uptake um, across the province. So, Need, I, I can't help but think that we just sort of did this, right, in long-term care homes. And, and, you know, while there were criticisms that it was happening too slowly, there were teams and they did go into long-term care homes and they did get that job done and it's working. So why, why is that not happening at the Amazon factory where... I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I believe the last time I looked, it was close to 900 cases connected to the to the warehouse. Truly, Jamie, your guess is as good as mine. Um, we had a very robust infrastructure that supported vaccination very quickly, actually, uh, when you think about it in Ontario's long-term care homes. And it's that kind of infrastructure, it's that kind of determination that we need, actually, at this time to get essential workers vaccinated. But let's remember, this vaccine rollout in multiple ways um, had inequities baked into it. We've talked about a lot of them, but one of the biggest ones is the last of connection um, and support for family doctors and primary care health teams to deliver vaccines. Um, each and every year, family doctors across this province deliver hundreds of thousands of vaccines in a very robust um, and efficient way. And we haven't tapped into this at all. Still, most family doctors in Ontario are not able to vaccinate and are not empowered to do so. And yet, when it comes to hardest hit communities, family doctors and primary care health teams have connections and long-lasting relationships that can, that can really meet people where they're at again. You know, um, more recently, you know, I came across uh, a patient we were caring for who, you know, was labeled as vaccine um, hesitant. And um, when I started to speak to her in her native tongue, Gujarati, um, I speak some broken Gujarati. I've been known to break it down from time to time. And I was able to communicate with her even in that way, just by speaking in her language, all of a sudden she wanted to get the vaccine. Um, It's not that she was vaccine hesitant. She just 
just needed someone to speak to her in the language that she knew. And it's that kind of um, uh, uh, discussion that we're trying to have to say that supporting people to get the vaccine is more than a jab. It's about emotionally connecting. It's about building trust. It's about building on, on trusting relationships. And and sometimes, you know, that's what you need to do to get to get there. You need to speak someone to someone in the way that they connect with. Um, but it also leads me to think about other things like how, you know, this pandemic response might be different if our elected leaders looked like the racialized people and essential workers who are getting sick and dying from COVID-19. It's hard to not see that the lack of an urgent response hmm. is the response. You know, I've often questioned and wondered, is this just systemic racism in action? It's hard not to think that. So, so essentially you're saying the decision to not reallocate doses, to not deploy these mobile clinics to, to really ramp things up, um, to not use family docs right now, to not institute paid sick leave, either to stay home uh, when you are sick or to, to get paid so that you can go get a vaccine, to not do all of that is a choice. It's a total choice, knowing what we know now with the science and the evidence and what we understand about who this virus is impacting and who it's really not impacting. When we don't take steps to do the things you just said and listed, this is what the systemic discrimination looks like. also serve as um, the metal, medical director for isolation hotels and Peel. I, I know that you work in, in, in hospitals and palliative care. You, you see who is being affected by this disease day in and day out, particularly now. Who is this hurting? What is the effect of this? The people that I see um, that are being impacted by this third wave are younger. It's a shifting demographic. There are people who are essential workers. They are working jobs where they have no choice but to go to work. And if they don't go to work, they won't be able to pay their bills. And there's no alternative to that. I have a patient we admitted uh, into the um, isolation hotels who was working um, in a factory and uh, really wanted to go take some time off to get a COVID test. Um, but unfortunately, because of a lack of paid sick leave, was not able to and ended up going to work because, you know, he had to choose um between his health and paying his bills. And and he um, ended up contracting the virus, um, unknowingly brought it home. The entire household, um, eight family members got sick. And I just remember the, the disappointment and the tears streaming from his eyes as, you know, he explained that he was so frustrated. The media and the government were, were often saying that people who were getting COVID-19 were people who were, you know, partying or not following public health guidelines. And he said, I'm I'm just trying to make ends meet. I'm just trying to pay the bills. I'm just trying to support my family. And look what happened. We need to think about how to support our essential workers and how precarious work, a lack of decent wages, a lack of paid sick leave has really impacted people during this pandemic. Labor is a determinant of health and we need to think about the systems that are causing people to, to fall ill um, and, and stop blaming them, but relook at these systems and, and, and really inspire change in them.
gentleman who, who got sick, I can't imagine the stress that he must carry, that, that people must carry, knowing that they could bring this disease home to their families, you know, and, and because they don't have any other choice. Essential workers like Louise Boltby enjoy their jobs, but the risk of becoming infected can be overwhelming. Well, I think we're really, really tired. I think many of us are, you know, it would be wonderful to have the vaccine. Absolutely. Um, the people I talk to are, are living in fear. They're often very anxious. Um, they're worried. And when I've seen um, family members um, and extended members of the multi-generational household get sick, um, there's been immense guilt. And with that guilt comes some comes suffering, um, not just from the health consequences, but the just knowing that, you know, this virus started um, at work and, and that, you know, you brought it home to your family. Can you imagine what that's like? Um, and we're not hearing that narrative we're not hearing that story um and 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 we, we need to talk about it more and we you know i sometimes wonder jamie you know so many colleagues like myself and others are are using data where we can to to talk about the the power of you know social policies like paid sick leave and and now we're telling stories like this one uh, we've done cost-effective arguments what will it take for our governments to listen um and to act so that those who have been disproportionately impacted by this virus do not have to suffer anymore. Um, when we look back at this time, I think we will wonder why we didn't just invest in people, why we just didn't invest in those who, who invested in us. We got through this pandemic because of essential workers and their service to our communities. And, and, and we will wonder why we didn't invest in these people to support them. Um, it's so disappointing. It must be really, I don't know, is frustrating the right word for, for you? I, I, I don't even know frustrating is, is a fair word to compare what it must be like for you to watch, to watch this. It's one word of many words we could probably use, Jamie. But as I talk to colleagues who are working in, in hospitals and in community and in public health, I get the sense that people are, are absolutely frustrated, but are starting to get demoralized because of the, the fact that we didn't have to be in this place. Because every death from here on in should be labeled not just a COVID-19 death, but a vaccine-preventable death. A delayed rollout has had significant consequences mm. on our communities, but on those communities that have been hardest hit by COVID-19. And, you know, um, if we care, if we care about each other, those who are most vulnerable in our communities, um, our governments, and we will push our governments to make the policy changes that are necessary to inspire a better future um, so we can get out of this pandemic as soon as possible. All right, Nahid, thank you so much for this. We're really appreciative. Thanks so much. Okay, so before I let you go today, a quick update. Yesterday afternoon, Premier Ford was talking about keeping schools open. Dr. Lowe must have said it 50 times yesterday on the news that schools are safe. It's not happening in the schools. It's happening when there's a community spread in hot areas. Well, he had barely wrapped up his news conference when the Toronto District School Board announced it would move all kids to remote learning until April 19th. Peel, another hard-hit region, made a similar move on Monday. Also worth noting... Ford said Tuesday to stay tuned for further restrictions, though he wouldn't say what people can expect. 
That's all for today. I'm Jamie Poisson. Thanks so much for listening to Front Burner. We'll talk to you tomorrow. On 93.1 CFIS FM, that is yesterday morning's front burner from CBC News. You can catch this morning's edition tonight around 11 o'clock. Front burner from CBC News can also be found on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Stick around. We'll return with our first guest for this morning on After 9 in a moment. If you're in charge of a volunteer organization, you probably find yourself looking for answers in different areas. The Vantage Point can help with their program, Talk to a Consultant. Whether you need support with strategic or operational planning, performance management, recruitment, assessments, or facilitation, the Vantage Point is there for you with Talk to a Consultant. For more information on Talk to a Consultant, go to thevantagepoint.ca. Today, some of Canada's top employers and community support groups are coming together for the Spectrum Works Job Fair. This national virtual event will help people with autism find meaningful work. According to the Canadian Survey on Disability 2017, 77% of Canadian autistic adults are unemployed. Since then, more than 1,500 have participated in this job fair. Registration and full details are available at spectrumworks.ca. The Spectrum Works Job Fair, today virtually across Canada. Auditions for the next season of Dragon's Den are now open. CBC's hit TV show is holding auditions virtually this year as the panel of wealthy Canadian business moguls look for the next big thing in business. To apply, or for full details, visit cbc.ca slash dragonsden slash auditions. It's a fresh chance for entrepreneurs from across the country to score some high-powered financial backing for their business ventures. Stop dreaming, start pitching. Dragon's Den. Apply now at cbc.ca slash dragonsden slash auditions. The Alzheimer's Society of BC is recruiting volunteer committee members for their annual IG Wealth Management Walk for Alzheimer's. This year's walk will take place throughout the month of May, culminating in a virtual celebration on May 30th. If you have the time and are looking for a volunteer role, email volunteer at alzheimerbc.org, call 604-742-4937, or visit the special events volunteer section of the Alzheimer's Society of BC website at alzbc.org slash event volunteer. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, so we have our guest, Mary Reed, in from Pure North Creative. Good morning. Good morning. So uh, let's let's start with uh, who is Mary Reed, where do you come from, and how did you make your way to Prince George? Because you're not a native, are you? No, I'm not. Um, I'm actually an Alberta girl. Oh, okay. I grew up in central Alberta, and uh, my husband and I moved out to Prince George in uh, 1990. Um, Oh, yeah. What uh, central Alberta community did you grow up in? Well, I'm a... I'm a farm girl. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I grew one up of in those really Alberta. small... Yeah, yeah, little tiny town. Um, not far from Red Deer, about 45 minutes outside okay. of Red Deer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, all my life on the farm. And then um, I moved to Red Deer for a little bit and mm-hmm. went off to university in Calgary. And uh, from there, basically back to Red Deer. And then from right. Red Deer back here. So, yeah. Okay, and the move here was because... Uh, my husband was uh, working... Um, uh, the company my husband was working for wanted to mm-hmm. open up an office here. He was with uh, Dominion Securities. Okay. And uh, so we moved here, and the Royal Bank was 
awesome. They kind of just uh, wrapped their arms around us and made us feel really at home. So mm-hmm. that was awesome. So that was how we kind of got here. Right, right. Yeah. And then, how, how long ago was that? 20, 28 years now. Wow. Yeah. Time I know. flies, eh? It's funny how you still call home where you kind of grow up. Yeah. But really, I've been here more longer, longer than I have. Longer than you were. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Pure North Creative. Uh, what is it that you do for your clients? What who are who are your clients? So, um, Pure North Creative, we are a uh, web and graphic design company. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually do a ton of work in the world of um, kind of more desktop publishing. We'll do a lot of uh, um, report. We'll create uh, reports company reports or um, business reports, mm-hmm. stuff like that. We do a lot of uh, data visualization. So taking a concept that somebody has and creating icons and symbols that kind of help um, the public understand concepts that are pretty intense and pretty complicated. So you're talking about a company's website where they want some information there for the people that are visiting it? Is that kind of the idea? Some of that. A lot of it is more um, so you might work for... Um, uh, a company that has a concept that they'd like to have a communication strategy around okay. and they need to do maybe a visual presentation of a PowerPoint, we'll create the graphics that work inside of that. Okay. So things that, so you might take a complicated concept about um, finance or uh, resource management planning and you'll create symbols that are um, kind of condense the concept right. and are visually understandable because yeah. people like you know the the stats like people have an attention span of like you know five seconds like you you just you don't have a long time to communicate and also people retain things visually a lot longer than they do uh, when they read things so right yeah well and i guess it's uh i know myself if i see a a whole bunch of numbers in a column uh that's all well and good, but if you give me that in a graph or a chart, it's a lot easier to sort of wrap your mind around. Exactly. We do a lot of uh, presentations. We do a lot of um, branded PowerPoints, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll do a full presentation for people. Just they give us the information, we create the slides for it, and uh, give it back to them. So that and, and so then within that, we'll create the graphics that are needed for it. So a lot of that stuff. We also do websites and right, logos right. and yeah. stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, who who are your clients? What kind of uh, industries uh, are, are, do you specialize in, in certain industries, or is there? Well, we've been kind of uh, really blessed. We we do some work with the government, a little bit with the government. Um, mm-hmm. We're really lucky. We've worked a lot with the First Nations communities in Prince George, uh, and a little bit outside of Prince George. Um, the basically the whole Carries County trouble area and uh, that's been it's actually been really not uh, a great learning curve for me being a flatland mm-hmm. Albertan girl and and out there we uh, where I grew up we didn't really I didn't have a lot of interactions with anybody that's uh, of the First Nations community so for me it's actually been a real treat to get to know that community right kind of understand some of the cultural aspects that I didn't really grow up with so mm-hmm. those are good cards and then Really just a lot of startups. A lot oh, okay. of people just kind of getting going. You know, when you first start off, you don't even know what you need. Right. You don't understand the benefits of having a digital footprint or being a brand, having a real strong brand. What does that look like for me? Mm-hmm. So we do that, that kind of package those up for startups. I, I just feel Prince George really has a need for kind of that 
I don't blue collar, like middle of the, not super expensive. A startup right, can't right. afford to do a thirty thousand dollar, no, you know, brand package. Right, right. They need something that's really practical. Yeah. So yeah. I really I love working with startups. Love finding and feeling the passion of people that are trying to start their own company and march to their own drum. So that that's a really in, a fun part of what we do. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned you said we. There's yourself and yeah, and I have a partner. Uh, Cameron Reed's also on there with me, and that's right. my is my son. And uh, he actually went and did uh, the new community. How what was it? Communications program at the no new media communications and design at the college back when he was just kind of out of school, and uh, I was doing a different work than I had worked for 23 years uh, um, at, in childcare. I had a, my own oh, yeah. daycare. And then, uh, so he got out and he was in the working world. And I kept looking at that thinking, that looks like a lot of fun. Um, so I went back to school at 50. Like, oh, I wow. was like, okay, I, I need to do something different. And uh, that I went back to the college and did the uh, web and graphic design program. Right, right. So that's kind of how I ended up that. So it just made sense that I partner with him. So he's the reason you're involved in this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You were doing uh, home care or uh, child care. Yeah, child that's, care. That's quite a jump then. It is a big jump. It It is a big jump in the actual physical stuff you do every day. But the reality is you're still, you're working with clients. It's still public oh, for work. Sure. You're, you still have those same kind of skill transfer. Yeah. Yeah. Helping people kind of find get to the other point of where they're at with child care you're you're entrusted with their the most important thing in their world but a close second is when you're starting a business that's like a baby so well exactly yeah, yeah. what do you what do you find is the biggest need for uh say a small business that is uh, that takes you on uh to help them out Oh, well, their brand, really. They come in with a, a passion and an idea and don't really understand the digital footprint that they're going to need. So everybody needs a logo. That's like your very first step. And, yeah. and doing a brand identity, looking at who are we, what are our values, getting that on paper. Because lots mm-hmm. of times we are excited about starting a business and then we um, we don't really think about what it is that we bring to the market that's different from everybody else and why somebody should come to us. So we help them develop that. And that's the part I, re- I really enjoy that part, you yeah. know, figuring that out. So do the logo and then the website. So the logo goes into their business card. So that's right. kind of that package. So is that um, is is that something? Do you, do you ever get uh, potential clients come to you and and they have such a vague idea of what they want to do that that you're really sort of leading them down the path to where they should be? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not so much that they. It's just that I don't think people sometimes think about that part of it. Right. So yeah, it, we do a discovery to start with, and that's usually. And I'll send them out a kind of a questionnaire, and then we get together and talk about it, and then we work through it every question. So I take that kind of front end time and right. really think about. And and those questions are things that people maybe haven't even thought about really you know what are what's your value statement what is your vision what are your values inside of your company as far as you know the aspects of how how you see yourself you know are you a casual approachable are you you know are you corporate um business like what is kind of that sense of who you are sort of the image that you want to portray right yeah and i guess that gets reflected in any kind of a a logo or visual that you you create then right yeah exactly yeah Yeah, so then we take that information and try to translate that into a logo which is sometimes it's um really easy sometimes people just have already kind of have a concept and it just comes other times you bring people 
concepts. So you'll start out by bringing them maybe three mock-ups and they're just real flat. You haven't done a lot, just ideas. And then sometimes they just reject it all and you're, then you have to kind of go back and go, <laughs> start over. okay, I've missed, somehow I've missed something in the discovery. Yeah, Let's go yeah. back. And sometimes that's because they're, they're, giving me answers they think that I want versus what is actually going to touch their hearts. Right. So then we go back to the drawing boards. But most of the time, you know, we're in it for the long haul. We're committed to getting them what they love. It's not about us. Right, right. I might love that logo design, but it's more important that they love that. And then just giving them some expertise on how to kind of wedge themselves into the market is mm-hmm. the other aspect of yeah. kind of what we do that – People don't get that. So you may go to, there's companies like Fiverr that you can pay and just boom, you send off right. your idea and you get back a logo. Um, but you don't get that whole concept. You don't get, probably aren't going to get your brand identity. You're not going to yeah. get a, you know, color. Well, you color. don't have that communication and, and sort of uh, sharing of ideas, right? Right, right. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Uh, you have time to stick around for another segment here? Sure. Okay. We'll be right back. We're talking with Mary Reed from Pure North Creative and we'll be back in a moment. Check out the Two Rivers Gallery podcast, Learn From Sharing, a series of voices on diversity. The latest edition features the late David Clement Charles and his granddaughter Amanda Cup, offering a glimpse into David's life, drawing on knowledge derived from living on the land and within his community. It also touches on the changing landscape and the importance of keeping our land healthy for our children. Caring for the land and each other, the latest Learn From Sharing podcast, available online at tworiversgallery.ca. Backcountry reservations for Berg Lake Trail and the Bowen Lake Circuit are now available for the 2021 season. Front camping and other backcountry reservations are also available for up to two months in advance. BC residents have priority access to camping reservations for the entire summer season. Visit bcparks.ca for full details and 2021 COVID policies for safe camping. Once again, reservations are now available for Berg Lake Trail, the Bowen Lake Circuit, and other provincial campsites at bcparks.ca. If you are affected by dementia, you are not alone. The Alzheimer's Society of BC currently offers telesupport groups for care partners who are caring for someone living with dementia. The Interior and Northern BC Telesupport Group meets the second Thursday of each month from 7 to 8 and the third Monday of each month from 2 to 3. For more information or to register, call the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033 or email info.helpline at alzheimer.com. BC.org. Forecast from Environment Canada. A mix of sun and cloud today with the wind becoming south 20 this afternoon and a high of 4. Cloudy tonight. Periods of snow overnight. South winds continuing. A low of minus 3 with a wind chill to minus 9. For Friday, increasing cloudiness with periods of rain in the afternoon. More south winds and a high of 5. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. And talking with Mary Reed from Pure North Creative, and we're just discussing off-air about uh, branding and and having a vision and and uh, a focus, I guess, is, uh, is what you, a lot of new companies don't always have. They have a general idea. But are just missing the focus. Is that, that's sort of what you were saying? Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Or just understanding kind of the importance of that focus. You know, mm-hmm. once, uh, you, you know, the work you do is where your expertise is and, yeah. you know, you're not thinking or maybe even understanding the impact that the digital footprint's gonna have. And especially now with COVID and the real, people have seen the real need to be online and have a digital footprint and people that never had e-commerce 
platforms before now really see the benefit. And, and yeah. I don't think people will go back. I, I think we'll still always, there's always going to be a bricks and mortar and people are right. just dying to get out and be back in stores. <laughs> can't but, wait. Yeah. Can't wait. But um, I, I do think that that's going to just enhance people's business and, and understanding the social media aspects yeah. too. We, we don't do a lot of social media. We do some of it for our clients more in the... Um, uh, aspect that we'll create the actual graphics that will go on their social media. Uh, we do a little bit of, um, so, uh, like Instagram. We may do some Instagram where we'll do it like twice a month or something, but not much. Uh, but I have a partner that I work with. My, my daughter's actually also has a company in Grand Prairie, uh, called, uh, North 43. And she okay. is big in the social media. She has some big campaigns. So if I have a client that needs that, I tend to reach out to her. Right, right. We do kind of keep it in the family. So, uh, di- differentiating yourself from the competitors, I, c- I kind of get the, the sense that a lot of people that start up a business, it's more a case of, I'm tired of working for someone else. I'm going to go and do this for, on my own without realizing that they need to make what they're doing different from everyone else. Is that a common thing in uh, new startups? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, just understanding that the market is huge out there. And, and, you know, you look at your the Google, when you come up on your Google Analytics or your SEO, which is a search engine optimization, that would be, so your website back end, how you structure it and the words that you use to create um, the algorithm that Google will need to pull it to the top. So um, those are important things that you can, your graphic designer or your, your website designer can do for you or should be doing for you. And I don't, that isn't, that shouldn't be any anybody that's starting a new business. It, their focus should be on being really good at what they do and how yeah. they bring that to the market. And so hopefully they can come to a company that like ourselves that can help them take care of that in the back end. You know, your time and energy should be spent in being an expert at what you do. Yeah. And um, my work is to help you to rise and find your the ability to differentiate yourself. You know, because there's some thousand people out there that can pop stuff into you know, Squarespace or, you know, so how do I bring something different to the market? How do I create something that um, is unique, that is a benefit to you? And I guess that's probably the biggest challenge for a lot of startups is, is this whole online thing. Like you say, you're a mechanic, you know how to fix cars and you have no idea about the internet. So that's got to be a huge thing to for a startup business to overcome, really. Absolutely. It truly is. And then, then the other side is the analytics that go with it. You know, the ability to kind of look at the back end and, and see, okay, how many people are coming to my website? How long are they staying there? What pages? And if they come and bounce, then you want to look at it and say, why? Why? Why, why aren't like, they staying? Am, and they, am I yeah. getting any conversions off of that? Right. So that that's the other thing. And where? how am I getting people funneled to my website? And that's where the social media, your know, Facebook and your Instagram. Instagram yeah. and your Twitter and TikTok is huge. So, yeah. The TikTok, yeah. The TikTok. As long as you have a song to go with it, I guess. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I know. So, so that's, um, and I guess that's the part of uh, today's business that is so much different than even, even five years ago, really, is that if you don't have, uh, if your website and your web presence isn't working for you, uh, chances are you're losing business to a competitor, right? Absolutely. They're going to, they're going to come. You only get that, you know, chance to make that first impression. And I think people that are, are used to having a bricks and mortar spend a tremendous amount of money and time creating an environment that their customers are going to feel comfortable in. Right. And they need to think about doing that in their digital 
store as well in their digital footprint. Like how, how are people going to, you want people to stay there. Why would they stay on my site? And why right. would they, why would then once they're there, why would they go to my store and purchase my, my product? Yeah. No, or even exactly. sometimes people use it more are as like a business card. Mm-hmm. And I think they're missing out, you know, they're yeah. missing out on that idea of the benefits that that's, that website can really bring to you. Yeah. So. I've gone to many websites, uh, for not for profits where you go in there and really there's nothing there. <laughs> it's just maybe, maybe an address and a phone number, an email address, and that's about it, right? Yeah, that's so, correct. That's kind of a, a dead end, I guess. And, and that's, oh, that, that's where my heart kind of goes out to them because many of those, um, nonprofits or not for profits are, they're, somebody's doing that off the side of yeah. their desk, right? Yeah. They don't, they don't have that or you have a volunteer that comes in to do that. And, you know, that's difficult. So now when people haven't been out, able to do fundraising to, in a classic way, yeah. you know, they're relying on that digital footprint and that, that I think has really impacted hugely the ability to fundraise and so i kind of feel for them we we have a silver kind of lining project i always have a company that i that's a not-for-profit that i kind of believe in that i work at a reduced rate for mm-hmm. um i always kind of try to keep one that i can kind of give back right. to all the time um right now we do we work with the caledonia early care and learning center um they're a not-for-profit and i kind of touches back to my roots which you know. uh, which was that again that's the cnc's daycare um, oh, okay. they changed they right, when the, right. the college closed the daycare it used yeah. to be under their umbrella and then the not the um the board opened again, but under a different name. So they're the yeah. Caledonia Early Care and Learning Center. So we do their digital work. Yeah. And I just feel it's kind of nice at some some way to kind of give back. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, have somebody. So if I feel like all nonprofits kind of need to find somebody that can kind of help them out, mm-hmm. you know. I still think, you know, it's valid to pay the full bubble as well yeah. for these guys because I think that the bottom line is they, you know, they're going to do a lot better if they're people will stay on their site and they're engaged in their site. But. Right, right. So what is that website if people want to check it out as an example of, of some of the work? You yeah, do? it's the Caledonia Early Care and Learning Center.com. Oh, okay. Yeah. Simple one to access. So let's uh, get back to you and your partner. What's it like working with your son in business? <laughs> Actually, can can yeah. that be a little odd sometimes? <laughs> It's good. Uh, yeah, it, it's, you have to really, um, sometimes obviously it's a, a parent child relationship, but yeah. once we come to the office, uh, where we work hard at creating a, just a business relationship. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, I really, I've always appreciated his skill set. So it makes it easy to kind of, um, just transition into business as soon mm-hmm. as we're here. And yeah. we make it a rule just not to talk business when we're just enjoying ourselves. Uh. Like yeah, when we're not in the office, as well, right? because you could just talk yeah. about it, tw- you know, 24 seven. Yeah. yeah. It, it becomes a real, like, then you're like, okay, I need a break. Everybody needs some work-life balance. And so to kind of keep those barriers in place is really important for us. But yeah, it's been great. It's awesome. I kind of well, ask things of him that, you know, you maybe would hesitate to ask from just a typical employee. So. Right, right. So I did notice uh, your desk is at one end of the the workspace and his is at the far other end. Is that on purpose? <laughs> it's totally on purpose. <laughs> Not on my part. I'd love to have him right across from me. Right. But, uh, yeah, no, he, well, he needs get his some, own space. Yeah. And, and it's ironic because we use uh, uh, did uh, online platform for our messaging back and forth and our support. Uh, we use Slack, which... I really enjoy. Right. And uh, but so we're sitting in the same general space. Um, we're down here at uh, Q3. Um, 
And not officially not Q3 officially yet, Q3, but, but uh, yeah, it, where it used to be the hub space, but yeah, it's now... 1299 Third yeah. Avenue. Yeah, it's been awesome. Uh, so we're down here and... Um, uh, We'll, I'll slack him. I'll, I'll yeah. message him in the channel. And then you have a paper trail too. You know what's been asked. And so that part, we just try to keep it really, uh, just professional when we're at work. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the great thing about messaging is it's easy to look back when you have a conversation in person. Sometimes there's misunderstanding and you can't go back to, uh, review what was said because it was just a, a one-off verbal thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, that's one thing that I found uh, far easier to do the email to make sure you've got it in writing, right? <laughs> that's right, yeah. <laughs> well, Mary, thanks for coming in. It was uh, great to hear about uh, Pure North Creative out of uh, the old, used to be Hubspace, soon to be Q3, 1299, uh, 3rd Avenue, the uh, corner of 3rd and Quebec, and uh, we'll probably have you get on again sometime. Well, I really appreciate it. It's been great, and uh, thank you. You guys have a great, a great afternoon. You too. Take a quick break, and we'll come back and chat about everything except for the Toronto Maple Leafs in a moment. Hope for Women is looking to hire a unique, outgoing, and knowledgeable individual to educate BC middle and secondary students through its Sexual Health and Intimacy for Teens program. SHIFT is a series of sex-positive pro-abstinence presentations based on the BC learning outcomes. This full-time position is expected to start this month. For full details, email SHIFT at HopeForWomen.ca. That's Hope for Women Pregnancy Services looking for a shift coordinator to start in April. Application deadline is April 15th. Kickstart your spring with Fit Nation. The Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity and Recreation Council is pleased to present a five-part workout series brought to the comfort of your own home. Fit Nation leaders will guide you through each workout, providing options for each exercise in introductory, intermediate and advanced movements. Take on the 30-minute videos one at a time or tackle them 10 minutes at a time. The five-part Fit Nation workout series. Find it on YouTube on the iSpark Fit Nation channel. The Rotary Hospice House is in need of knitted slippers for guests. Any knitters willing and able to knit and donate slippers can call Irene at 250-563-2551 for full details. Once again, the Prince George Hospice Society's Rotary Hospice House needs knitted slippers for their guests. More information is available by calling Irene at 250-563-2551. The Prince George Symphony Orchestra is pleased to announce the final four concerts of their 50th anniversary season. The Spring Series consists of three Sunday evening presentations and a special Sunday afternoon family performance of Sergei Prokofiev's Peter and the Wolf. All concerts will be streamed with tickets available at pgso.com by phone at 250-562-0800 or at their Studio 2880 office. Don't miss the first presentation in the series, The Arrival of Spring, 7.30 on Sunday. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George, this is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. So I noticed, Steve, you moved your microphone down, thinking that you wouldn't, weren't going to talk at all. And that's because I said we weren't going to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. But that's because we have our sports talk show coming up coming this up evening. this evening. Yeah, it's 6 o'clock. So I figured, well, let's not talk sports. Let's talk about, well, this is sports-related, I guess. The YMCA of Northern BC, they just put out their uh, media release about uh, Healthy Kids Day. They do that every year, and this year uh, they're going ahead on May the 2nd, but because of COVID, 
it will be, uh, well, I wouldn't even say a virtual event because what they're doing is they're putting together a magazine. And in the magazine, uh, there'll be uh, free passes, recipes, uh, mindfulness activities, physical literacy assessment, and a get active bingo. And if you play the get active bingo, I guess there's a chance to win a Nintendo Switch. Which I find kind of funny. Well, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> you want to get fit, but you're going to put you're them gonna, right back on the yeah, couch. You're going you're gonna to use a Nintendo Switch to, <laughs> to lure them into it, I guess. So that's, yeah, I thought that was kind of funny uh, doing that. But I guess that's one way of getting the the, the gamers involved, I right? I think they'll get out, yeah. Some yeah, and get out, out and do some actual activities. I need a activities. new machine here, yeah. So what they'll do is they will be handing out this magazine at the Y on uh, May the 2nd, which is the actual uh, Healthy Kids Day from 11 to 2. So the people can just stop by, pick up the magazine, and then go about the activities and stuff. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's it's a good little uh, uh, program from the family. I always want to call it the family Y, but they haven't really used that for quite a while. But YMCA of Northern BC, because it's all across. A lot across. of people put family in front of it, though. Oh, yeah. Well, it really is the family yeah. Y when you think about what they do, right? So uh, COVID numbers, did you look at uh, yesterday's? Uh, yeah. Well, it, it was better yesterday. Like uh, The y- only thing I liked is that our particular area, Prince George itself, yeah, the numbers are going down. Well, they've gone down. Yeah, yeah, and and for the northern region, uh, yesterday there was only eighteen new cases, which was great. It was and the uh, total active cases across the north right now three hundred. But that's a good point that, that our actual Prince George region, yeah. because uh, in the northern region, it's broken into a lot of smaller a lot of areas. Mm-hmm. And I know that uh, a lot of the numbers that were uh, keeping the north above the 300 mark was due to some of the more rural areas where the the numbers were quite high. Well, Prince Rupert was one of them. Yeah, Yeah, they they had a horrible time. So uh, the good news, we're back down to 300 active cases across the north. So hopefully the next couple of weeks... That can, you know, start to decrease. wide though, active is really going. Yeah, well, uh, part of that is uh, a certain professional uh, sports team that uh, you're saying (laughs) some of the families went to Whistler is what happened? Uh, Back to sports again, yeah. uh, Apparently that's what happened. We had a family gathering at Whistler from the Canucks. Yeah, so there. (laughs) And uh, so, well, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, to them. uh, going forward, but yeah, a bit of a head shaker when you, you well, look when at when you think about it, you go to a hot spot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, and, and exactly. And, and there, and Whistler's not the only ski resort that's had problems. And, and I get, I, I get the feeling people get the, the thought in their mind that, no, we're going skiing. We'll be outside and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you get into the lodge and, and you're at the chairlift and all these different areas where you can very easily contract something like that. Well, I mean, so, they show the chairlift, and they're back-to-back lined up yeah, to get on the chairlift, yeah. and so, they're right beside each other. So obviously they're not taking the precautions they need because in their mind they're thinking, well, we're in the great outdoors, no big deal, right? Yeah, blue skies, so, nice snow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so you got to be careful, right? Uh, physical distancing, number one. That's number one. Uh, mask whenever you're in a crowd, 
number two. And uh, don't go out if you don't need to, right? Yeah. Exactly. Well, Ontario shut her down. Yeah, well, hopefully uh, we can get through this and not have to... Ford's going to have a heart attack. (laughs) Yeah, oh, well. Uh, The good thing is it it means uh, people... uh, Well, no, I won't even mention the Leafs. Uh, That'll do it for today's show. Uh, As mentioned, tomorrow or uh, tonight, 6 o'clock, is our post-to-post sports talk program. Tomorrow morning on uh, After 9, we have the Ram and Stag podcast, followed by our Friday panel. So make sure you tune in then. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Reg Fair, and Nathan Gita, with guest producer Neil Godbu of the Prince George Citizen. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 on the FM dial. CFIS-FM is owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society.